thankful that Christ is in you. Not only is it para and epi, he's with us, he's in us, and he's upon us. He was with us, then he came into your life as salvation and an epi, the Greek word epi. He's upon us. He's flowing out, flowing out in ministry, in gifts of the Spirit, in, in working in and through our lives to touch the world around us. Para in epi, the Greek words for with, in, and upon. That's how the New Testament describes the work of the Spirit in our life. Man, I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful that, that God showed me mercy when I deserved judgment. When I deserved hell and, 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 and hell for my, for my rebellion, for my, my obstinate heart. He changed my heart. He gave me a new heart. He gave me a heart that now loves him and wants to live for him. Are you thankful for the new heart? He's changed your heart. Think about that. He's come inside your life, in your heart, in your mind, and he's reoriented you. I'm just so thankful. I'm not on a path to destruction no more, but I'm on a path to blessing, walking with my great God, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the, the gift of salvation. And Lord Jesus, you're truly worthy of it all. If all you did was forgive us of our sins, wash us and make us pure, make us holy, make us righteous, that, that would be everything and that would be more than enough. But Lord, you've blessed our lives. You've blessed our lives with your salvation, with your presence, with our friends, with our church, with our family, with our kids, with everything, Lord. We give you thanks today. First, in the mighty, wonderful, beautiful, victorious name of Jesus, I pray. The awesome name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Great to see everyone this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and my brother Andy will give you a Bible because we go verse by verse through the New Testament on Sunday morning. Great to see everyone this morning. Hope everyone's had a great week. Um, it's been a really good week at Calvary Chapel Irmo with ministry and preparation and a lot of things taking place and making a lot of plans for the future of Calvary Chapel Irmo. We're very thankful. We'll be sharing more about that in the future. But let's do what we love to do the most here at Calvary Chapel, and that's get into the Word. So please turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And we're looking at verses uh, 22 through 33 this morning. We're looking at a very familiar passage that many of you guys remember from childhood um, or even in your very beginning of hearing about Christianity, and that is Jesus walking on the water, walking on the water. So let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, Ah, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Bunch of sissies. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but verse 27, but immediately 
Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Lord, thank you for your word as we study it now. Father, just um, open our hearts. Let the Holy Spirit minister to our hearts and convict our hearts of this truth in the word of God. Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask you to work in our hearts as we study your word. In Jesus' awesome name I pray, amen. Amen. So the title of my message this morning is Sent into the Storm. And just by way of introduction, I love how this passage reads. It goes from him sending him out into the storm to that very last verse. Did you catch that? They were worshiping Jesus. They go from a chaotic moment to Jesus, you are truly the Son of God, and they're, they're worshiping him in the beauty of his holiness. But looking at, we're, I'm going to be going back and forth from application for our lives to um, the meaning of the text of Scripture, what it's saying. So we're going to be weaving in and out of that, of that framework of teaching. But question for you to think about this morning is what do you do when the dark storms of trials, tribulations, and temptations come your way. What do you do? What do you do when, when those things come your way? When the world hammers you, do you keep your eyes on Jesus or does your faith crumble? Can anybody relate or is it just me? Can anybody relate in their life? When trials came, when tribulations came, when temptation came. You know, I, I, can, I can say, yeah, I've had some victories. I've had some victories in my Christian walk, but I've also had some failures. And we all face those in life. We all have times of victory and times of failure. And, you know, that's the pressure that we face living in an ungodly world, living in a fallen world marred by sin, or the trials, the tribulations, the temptations. This morning, in our, in our gospel, in our verse by verse study of Matthew, we are studying Jesus walking on the water and his invitation to Peter to step out on the boat and walk towards him. This is the invitation of Christ to us, to step out in faith in a sinful world filled with storms and follow the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not for weak-minded people. It's not for half-hearted people. It, that, that, it doesn't work that way, being able to traverse this world in such a difficult world that we live in. It's not for weak-minded or half-hearted people. It's for people who have decided in their mind and they've made a decision, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. You're willing to face the adversity of the ungodly world to honor and follow your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So really, it comes down to commitment. You know, where, where's our heart? I'm asking myself this week, where is my heart with you, Lord? Am I following you with all my heart? Am, am I pushing through the trials? Am I 
pushing through the tribulation? Am I pushing through the temptations? And am I following you with all of my heart? That is where the Holy Spirit wants each of us in our walk with Christ, to follow him with all of our heart. It's a journey of faith. It's a journey of commitment to Christ. And his promise to you is this. If you keep your eyes on him, he will see you through and you will not sink. On the contrary, you know, Scripture's clear. If we take our eyes off of Christ, we're destined for failure. So what's the key? Keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Fix your focus on the cross. Fix your focus on your great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Live your life to honor him, to glorify him, and, and, and trust him with all your heart. That's where we're going this morning. So let's look at our verse-by-verse study of Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33, and let's unpack this this morning. Verse 22 says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now what you need to understand is throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he was all about teaching the disciples, okay? They were frail. They were human. They were just like you and I, everyday Joes and Jills living life, and he is teaching them, okay? They weren't these extraordinary supernatural people, okay? And he was all about teaching them. And did you notice what the text said in there? Notice what it says right in the middle. It says, Jesus made. That's the key word there. He made his disciples get into the boat. That word made, the Greek word is anakadzo. It means to compel, to force, to make one do something. You see, the disciples did not have a choice. They did not have a choice. Jesus made them go. He was constantly pushing them, teaching them. And they didn't decide, oh, let's, let's go for a boat ride. Let's just go sail to see a Galilee and have a good time. No, no. The master told his disciples, you get in the boat, you're going out to sea. You're, you're, go, you're, you're going out into the water. And then it says, he sent the multitudes away, verse 22 So he sent them out. He's forced them out. Now he sent the multitudes away. Now we get to verse 23. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. I just find this verse fascinating. Verse 23. I mean, think about this theologically. You have Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, going off to a place to spend time with the eternal father, okay? He's going up on the mountain to spend alone time with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he spent a lot of time with the father in prayer. I find that fascinating because Jesus is God. Jesus is deity. He's 100% God, 100% man, He's God in the flesh, but yet even in his earthly ministry, the the Lord Jesus Christ said, I've got to spend time with my heavenly father. I've got to go spend quiet time with him. Let me give you some verses. I'll have them up on the screen for you. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says, Now in the morning, having having risen a long while before daylight, he, talking about Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So Jesus goes to a solitary place. That solitary just means 
It's just him and the Father. You and I need solitary time with God. Where it's just you in your prayer closet spending time with the Lord. It's good to be a part of corporate prayer at church and prayer meetings, but you need alone time with God in your prayer closet. Each and every person here, including myself, needs that. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So there, Luke 5, 16, it says what? Jesus did it how, how often? Well, I, I use the word. He, he did it often. <laughs> he did it often. He did it frequently. And so we need to spend quiet time with our Heavenly Father in prayer often. And in Luke 6, 12, now it came to pass in those days... He went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. All night in prayer to God is what Jesus did. So there are times, we're going to see in the text this morning, where there's short prayers, but there's also times where we need to spend lengthy time with God in prayer, okay? Depending on what you're facing, what you're going through, you know, uh, we need to spend lengthy time with the Lord in prayer. Now, Here's, the, here's the, the comparison, Jesus and us. If Christ had to spend time with the Father in prayer, how much more should you and I? Okay? Because we're not deity. We're human beings. We're people. Okay? How much more should you and I have to spend alone time with God? Alone time with God in prayer for the Christian, for you and me, is essential. It's essential. You've got to have it if you want to survive, if you want to make it in the Christian life. It's essential. One, it's essential to discovering God's will, you know, to discovering God's specific will and plan for your life. Who does he want you to marry? What ministry does he want you to be a part of? Where does he want you, where does he want you to go and serve? There's questions that the Bible gives us the, the general uh, will of God, to follow Christ, to serve him, but then there's specifics in our life. You will find those specific answers for your life, for the specific details when you spend alone time with the Lord. It's also, prayer is essential to being a powerful witness, okay? We gotta know our word. We gotta know the Bible, but we gotta spend time in prayer. I have found that when I pray before I witness, my witness encounters are that much better. When I take the focus off myself, and, and I focus on the Lord, and I really just clear my mind and say, Lord, I know what your word says. I know the message of the gospel to repent and believe the gospel to put your trust in Christ. Now, Lord, I spend this time in prayer asking the Holy Spirit to give me an extra measure to, to share the gospel. But spending alone time with God is essential to your witness, and also it's essential to overcoming temptation. It's essential. You're spending quiet time with the Lord is essential to overcoming temptation. Not only do we need to wash our minds with the word, but we need to bathe our hearts in prayer before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the ability to resist temptation. Ask the Holy Spirit to give us the revelation of what sin truly is. Ask the Holy Spirit to show us how deep and how dark and how twisted and how wicked sin is and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the power to, to run from temptation. That's why we need to spend a long time in prayer. Okay? Now, I'm not saying Jesus, Jesus, 
He was never tempted. He, was never, he, he never sinned. But because the Son of God had to spend a long time with the Father in prayer, how much more, family, should you and I spend a long time with prayer? Think about that for a while. Look, look at verse 24. But the, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. John chapter 6, verse 19. I love the, the details of Scripture. He tells us in John 6, 19, that he was between three and four miles out into the, out into the Sea of Galilee. So the, the, the disciples, they are getting hammered. They're getting hammered. The storm is raging, and things are getting out of control. They are scared. Ah, what's going on? I don't know about you. I've crossed the Atlantic multiple times by ship, and it can get rough out there, and it can get scary when you see all these waves crashing and the winds bellowing. It can be scary out there. And they are looking at their natural, their, their circumstances they're in, and, and, and it is scaring them. Look at verse 25 and 26. He says, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, Ah, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. They cried out for fear. They just weren't made for the open water and the big seas. It was a little scary for them. But it was a, it was a long night. The fourth watch of the night, it means it was between 3 and 6 a.m. So that means that they had been in the seas through the, through the evening, through the early morning hours, and it was a very difficult and trying time. They were in survival mode, and they were wiped out. But then they see a figure. One of the other Gospels tells us that the figure was moving past them, but they did not know it was Jesus. And they cried out for fear. They were scared. I'm not going to pick on them. <laughs> I'm tempted to, but I'm not going to. Verse 27. You never know. You put yourself in their situation. It was a rough night. A rough night on the Sea of Galilee. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. The Lord of creation, the creator of the universe, is walking across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus speaks to them. Christ is in all his full glory and deity in this passage. It's all on display as the Lord of creation is walking on the water. You know, the fact that Jesus is walking on the water is true because he's the Lord of creation. He is the one who created the universe. He is the one that created the heavens and the earth. He created the Sea of Galilee. He created the molecules of water. He spoke, and the universe came into existence. Psalms chapter 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night and night they display knowledge. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have clearly been seen. The one who spoke the the worlds into existence there at creation in Genesis 1-1 is now the very one who is walking on the Sea of Galilee. And he says, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. In a couple of verses, I'm going to dive into this being afraid because we see it multiple times in the passage. But the thing I just want to highlight in verse 27, he says, be of good cheer. 
be of good cheer. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of Jesus' words on the evening before his crucifixion in John chapter 14, where he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If what I sort of told you, I go to prepare a place. But he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. We see throughout the Gospels, you know, uh, which testifies to the authenticity of Scripture, that these were scared men. These were frail men. And that's why Jesus is having to disciple them and having to build them up. Well, guess what? He's got to do the same thing for you and me, okay? You need to be built up as a disciple of Christ. You need to be in the Word, in the prayer, in prayer, in fellowship, in church, learning the ways of the Lord so that He can build you up and your heart will be fearful uh, or it will be less fearful when you face the difficulties of this life. But he says, be of good cheer. It, it is I. Do not be afraid. Verse 28 you know, before we read verse 28, one of the cool things about studying the Bible, I just love this, is as we read verse 28, you can hear in the words of the text the emotions of Peter. Think about what emotion is Peter going through as he makes this statement. What's going on in his heart and mind? Tell me if you can't pick it up. Pick up the same thing I picked up. Look at verse 28. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. It's crazy. In the words of Scripture written 2,000 years ago, you can still, at this very moment as we read the verse, you can hear Peter's struggle of faith. Just based on the words, Lord, if, that's the key word, if, Lord, if it's you, well, who else would it be, Peter? I mean, come on, dude. You've seen, all the, you've seen all the miracles. You've seen everything he's been doing. But yet he's still slow of heart to believe. He's still lagging behind. And then it's like, it is, it is as if Peter is not even willing to rest on his own faith. Look at halfway through verse 28. He says, command me. In other words, Jesus... You're going to have to have the faith for this. You command me because Peter is paralyzed in fear and he has little or no faith. Man, thank you, Lord, for um, just give thanks to the Lord. Even those with little faith, he honors. All it takes is the faith of a mustard seed. All it takes is, Lord, I need you. Please help me. We're fixing to look at this one of the shortest prayers in the Bible. But look at what Jesus says in verse 29. With that thought process, verse 28, of Peter's low faith, lack of faith, paralyzed in fear, if it is you, look at what Jesus says in verse 29. He uses one word. So he said, it was like I could just see a command. Come! Through the raging sea, there to the boat, he just says, Come! And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Read it for yourself again over and over. And he said, come. When, when a sentence, when a phrase, when there's only one word in a sentence in the English or in most languages, it, it, it represents a command. Like, I don't have to say five words to convey a thought, okay? When you want to command something, when you want to, put an emphasis on something, in all languages, you use one word, 
an example would be, stop. I don't have to say nothing else. If I say stop, you're going to be like, you're going to put the brakes on. Okay, because it's meant to add emphasis. Well, when Jesus uses this command here, come, it's come. Like, I don't have to say anything else. Jesus' invitation to Peter, oh, weak Peter with little faith, his invitation was simple. It was not complicated. There was no formula. It was no rocket science. It was a simple and clear invitation. I love that about our Savior. His, his invitation is clear and simple. It's simple and easy to understand. It's clear to see the call of the gospel. And the call of the gospel is to turn from sin and turn to Christ and commit your life to following him. Okay? It's good to join a church. It's good to get water baptized. It's good to partake in Christian activities. But the ultimate invitation that, that, that brings you into the kingdom is repentance and faith. It's turning from sin, putting your trust in Christ, and saying, Lord Jesus, here is my life. Use me for your honor. Use me for your glory. And that's the invitation that he's, he's beckoning Peter. Step out of that boat. Come follow me. Come follow the light of the world. I see all the storms. I see the raging rain and the storms and everything. But you come follow me. Now, do not go out on Lake Murray this afternoon and think you hear a voice and start to try, start, try to start walking out across the lake on Lake Murray. Because if you do, you're going to sink. That's not the point of this text. The point of this text is Jesus is there. He's on the earth. And he's inviting Jesus, excuse me, Jesus inviting Peter to come follow him through the dark storms of the water. But today, the spiritual application for us is to step through, step out of our boat, step out of this dark world and say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to follow you through the storms, through the rage, and through all the difficulties of this life. Look at verse 30. Now here we're going to talk about them being afraid because we see that multiple times in this passage. Verse 30 says, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Throughout scripture, the disciples were prone and they gave in to fear a little bit. No, a lot. They, they gave in to fear a lot. You know, I get so much encouragement just by reading the story of the disciples and their life, their, their, their life of failures and tripping up and not getting it right, but the Lord is getting them back up. But they, they are prone and they gave in to fear. Mark chapter 10, verse 32 says, the disciples feared on the way to Jerusalem. That's Mark 10, 32. In John chapter 14, uh, the evening before the crucifixion, they're in the upper room. The air was tense. They did not like what was going on. They were very paranoid. They knew something big was fixing to happen, and it was really scaring them. And that prompted Jesus' words in John chapter 14, where he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, my Father's house, and many rooms. But he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 19. This is before, during, and after. John 20, 19. It says that the disciples were fearful. They were fearful of the Jewish authorities after the resurrection it wasn't until pentecost till they were filled with the holy spirit that they were emboldened 
And they were empowered by God to go out and be a witness. And they were not afraid of the persecution that they would face. The root cause of the disciples' fear is it was that they did not understand who Jesus is prior to being born again. They saw him as a natural figure, just this historical figure. They didn't see him as the eternal son of the living God. You and I will fall into the same snare of fear when we don't understand who Jesus is. He is God. He is the creator of the universe. He is the one that formed and fashioned everything. He is the one that's causing this planet we're on to orbit the sun. He's got the, the universe in the palm of his hand. And we need to understand that, family. He is the sovereign Lord. He is the sovereign creator. He's not just our, our little Jesus, just our religion. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he is the Lord of our soul. And we need to have a very high view of the Lord Jesus Christ and all his glory, all his power, all his majesty, all his truth, because that's who he is. The more you elevate the Lord Jesus Christ in your theology, the more you understand the truth of what the scripture says about him, the less you will struggle, struggle, we all struggle, we all, we all wrestle along the way with fears, but the less you'll struggle with fear. The fear of man, the fear of this world, and the fear of the things that can happen to you because you serve a sovereign Lord who walked on water. And he is the eternal God. Remember, who sent them? If you go back to verse 22, Jesus sent them. Jesus made the disciples go into the boat. Halfway through verse 30, we just did the first half of verse 30, second half of verse 30, he says, and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Here's a cool thing, unique thing about this verse right here. This is the shortest prayer in all the Bible. This is, you're looking at the shortest prayer in all the Bible. The second shortest prayer was when Moses prayed for Miriam's healing back in the Old Testament. But this is the shortest prayer in all of Scripture. Peter begins to sink below the waves. He's possibly starting to blow up bubbles. He's, he's going down. He's going under because he took his eyes off of Jesus. He saw how big the waves were, and it scared him. And he utters the shortest prayer in the Bible. And it was short because he didn't have much time. <laughs> he had to get those few words out before he was sucking in water. So he says, Lord, save me. You know, I'm thankful that God hears short prayers. And we need to remember that. God hears short prayers. He says it's right here, right, right here in the Word. It's not the length of our prayer that counts, okay? What counts in our prayer is the two things. The content, what we're asking for, is it in accordance with God's will? Is, it, is, it, it, it is what a Christian should be praying for. And the second thing is the heart, the heart behind the prayer. Those are the two things I believe that God judges prayer based on, is the content and the heart behind it. You know, we're not praying for Lamborghinis and big mansions, okay? We're, we're praying for people's salvation. We're praying for people's well-being. We're praying that God will work mightily in the hearts of believers and in our world for his glory and for his honor. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Lord, save me. Lord, curios. Sovereign Lord, bring salvation. Please deliver me as I am going down. And look at verse 31. He answers the prayer. And immediately, immediately, because he had to hurry up because Peter's going down quick. Peter's going down quick. Peter, Jesus stretched out his hands and called him and said to him, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? So that, that's pretty cool. He's, he's going down, six, fixing, he's sucking in water, and Jesus grabs him by the hand and says, I got you. He says, I got you. Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You know, doubt is something that we've all struggled with at some point in your Christian life. If, you're, if you've been serious about your Christian faith and moving forward, no doubt, inevitably, sometimes in, in your life, you will go through seasons of doubt. But what do we do with doubt? What do, what do you do with doubt? I'm going to tell you what I do. I press forward. I press forward. And I find my answer. I press forward. I say, I say Lord, I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to press through this doubt. I'm going to press through this, this season of doubt, uncertainty. Sometimes there's a little bit of unbelief mixed in or whatever. I want to press through it, Lord, because I know this is not my heart. I'm going to press through and I'm going to see you through. And whatever it is that I'm struggling with, whatever it is that I'm wrestling with, that I don't know the answer to, this may be causing my doubt or confusion or unbelief, I'm going to find an answer. I'm going to search the Word of God. I'm going to talk to some Christian brothers and, and find out if they can help me. And I'm going to press through. So what is the application? What is, what is the application? Let's, let's shift here. We'll finish up the last two verses, but I want to focus on what do we do with this text that is before us this morning? What do we do with God's Word? The application is this from Peter, uh, from Jesus walking on the water and inviting Peter to come out. The application is this. You and I must take God at his word, and we must trust him and obey him. And when he says, come, our response without hesitation should be, yes, Lord, I will follow you. I will come. I will lay my life down for your honor and for your glory, Lord Jesus. You, you, you know, you, and check this out now. Jesus promises tribulation. He promises a difficult life for believers. Okay, so if you haven't heard this before, let you hear it now. You will face trials in this life. You will face tribulation. You will face difficulties, okay? They're guaranteed. That, that's part of living life on earth. You will face challenges. But listen to what Peter would say about 25 or 30 years later in his epistle. The same Peter um, in the gospel in Matthew chapter 14 would write in his epistle many years later, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fire, fiery trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Hardship, trials, and difficulties, this is, what they, they can, they, this is how they should operate in our life. They should teach you and I how to trust. They should teach you and I how to trust. Trials, difficulty, and tribulations, don't look at them as, ah, what am I doing wrong? But look at them as, how can I trust God in this situation? Because I'm not immune to trials. I'm not immune to tribulations, and neither are you. 
And they also, they also, they test the authenticity of your faith. Is your faith real? Is your faith in God, in his word, is it real? Is it authentic? That's what trials, tribulations, and difficulties do. They test you. When like, oh, I don't like what's going on. A situation in your life, something difficult you're facing, are you going to abandon ship or are you going to stay the course? It's testing your faith. It's testing your faith. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm just being straight up with you. I'd rather my faith be tested in this life and, and, and then understand that it was not right and step into eternity and never to have biblical faith at all. Our prayer should be, Lord, test our faith. Test our faith. Listen to what Peter also says in his epistle. Jump into 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Peter would say this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while, if it need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Did you see what he said in the very open part? What? In this you what? Not just rejoice, but greatly rejoice. We should greatly rejoice at trials, at tribulations, at difficulties that come in our life. Because what they're doing is they're building you up. They are refining you, and they are making you stronger. Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith uh, being, look at that, more precious than gold. Your faith in Christ, your faith in God, your faith in his word is more precious than anything. Do we treat it that way? I, I just look at my life. I look at my own life. Do I, David Ford, do I understand there is nothing more important in this life than my faith in Christ and my faith in God? More important than my family, more important than this church, more important than life, more important than the air I breathe. That is a New Testament view of Christian faith. It is pure gold that God has given us the ability to trust him, believe him, and love him. And we need to guard our faith. You need to guard your faith. You need to nurture your faith. And you need to grow in your faith. That's how important your relationship with God is. It's more precious than gold. Do you view it that way? I hope I got you thinking, and I hope I give you something to think about this week, is as, as our faith is more precious than gold. Family, there is nothing more important in this life than your faith in Christ. And we should pray. We should pray, Lord, test my faith. Please make sure it is real. Is it possible 
that God could send us into trials and difficult situations in order to strengthen our faith? I think so. That's why I think Peter opens up in verse 6, greatly rejoice, because they're building your faith, they're building your character. It doesn't end there. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James would say this, the half-brother Jesus, my brethren, count it all joy when you, fade, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I heard a preacher once say, and, and, I, and I've always stuck to it, and it's true, that God cares more about your faith and your character than he does your comfort. And we need to remember that as we maneuver our way through life. God cares more about your heart and your faith and your character and who you are on the inside than what happens in this life. Trials and difficulties build our character and they test the authenticity of your faith. Me and Wayne were talking about this week, about this passage, and, you know, it's interesting. Jesus, Lord of creation, he's, he's the one that sent them. He sent them into the storm. And if God sends you into the storm, guess what God's going to do? God's going to keep you, and he's going to preserve you, and he's going to build you through the storm. That's how we got to look at the storms. That's how we have to look at the difficulties of life. Will you trust Christ in the difficult times, or will your faith crumble? Man, let's, let's take God at his word, and let's let our lives be built up and strengthened in our faith. Let's, 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 let, let's follow Jesus through the storms. Let, let's step out of the boat onto the water of this world, of this, this dark world, and say, Lord Jesus, I'm coming after you. I'm going to follow you and watch what he does in our life. Look at verse 32. This is, we're coming up on the holy moment. This is the, I made it through the fire. Oh, th this is intimate, holy, pure, devotional moment. Actually, verse 33, but let's read verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. It all calmed down once they were in the boat with Jesus. It's amazing what happens when we're walking close with Christ. It's not that we don't have trials and tribulations. You're not immune from the consequences of the fall. We all face trials. We all face tragedies. We all face difficulties. But here's the difference. We are in the boat with Christ. And he will hold your hand and steady your heart through the fiercest storms. Are you in the boat with Christ? Or are you in the storms of the water? Where are you at? Grab hold of Christ. Grab hold of his word. Say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live for you. Hold, extend your hand out to him in prayer. Lord, save me. Lord, be there for me. Help me. With the right heart, with the right content, he is mighty to save. He's mighty to deliver. And he will see you through. And then verse 33, the holy moment. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. It's a stark 
contrast, when you look at um, verse 28, Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me. Like, there's no faith on Peter's part. He's like, Jesus, this has got to be all you, and I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm a train wreck right now. Before, but afterwards, verse 33, those who were in the boat, this is all the disciples, this is the impact. Truly, you are the Son of God. It went from here to here to their entire life. Christ, I'm going to follow you. This was a holy moment. These disciples, in this moment of verse 33, take yourself there. They realize and they understanding, and they understand, excuse me, that they are standing before the Lord of creation. That's who Christ was. And they have that moment. You see, when you get in the boat and you have faith and trust in Christ, through tribulations and through trials, it will. Mark my words. If you, if, if you stay the course through the tribulation, through the trials, it will produce a deeper faith. It will produce a holy faith. It will produce a reverent faith. It will produce a faith filled with holy and reverent worship. That is the invitation of the gospel, to follow Christ, to hear his voice. And he invites us all to come, to come and follow him, to deny ourselves to say no to the world, and to say yes to Christ. Again, where, where are you in the spectrum? Where are you in the spectrum of faith? You know, think about Peter. Be encouraged by Peter. If you're here and you're struggling with faith, and you're wrestling with faith, and you're like, oh, I don't know. Oh, and your life's just spinning out of control. Take heart. Be encouraged. The shortest prayer in the Bible by Peter, there on the water, Lord, save me. It speaks of the compassion and the mercy and the kindness of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, even towards those who struggle with faith. Okay? All it takes is the faith of a mustard seed to call upon him and meet him where do we meet him at? We meet him at the cross. We meet him at the cross. And we say, Lord, please come into my life. Please save me from my sin. I repent. I turn from my sin. I put my trust in Christ. And I want to live my life for you. We meet him there and we begin the journey of faith. We begin the life of stepping out of the boat and traversing our way through this dark world, always walking towards the light the world. Friends and family, be encouraged. Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord and creator of the universe, and he is the Lord and Savior of your heart. Trust him with all your heart. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So I pray, my prayer this morning is that we understand in life, that you understand in life, that God will sometimes allow us or even send us into storms, into trials and difficulties and hard times.
But the purpose of those trials and difficulties and hard times is to grow your faith. Don't crumble under the pressure. Let it be an opportunity to grow in your love and your devotion to Christ. Amen? I want to pray for you. Father God in heaven, I just come to you, Lord, in the mighty name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we've studied your word. We've looked at this text of Scripture. And help us, Lord, to understand the truth that is here. Lord, that you sent these disciples into the storm, but you knew from the beginning that they would make it. You knew that, that they would have difficulties out there, but Lord, they called upon you. They looked to you. Lord, help us today in this difficult and trying world with trials and tribulations and all the difficulties of life. Help us, Lord, to press towards you, to look to you, to call upon you, to spend time in prayer with you, and help us to grow in our faith. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you. For it's in the mighty and wonderful and beautiful name of Jesus, I pray.